Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. And we're glad you're here for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. And Jim, there's a lot of people still talking about what happened on November 3rd. And oh, by the way, there are really important runoffs in Georgia on January 5th. Some people are focused more on that. Our first martini, I guess, is good that they're investigating this. Uh, bad that it uh, could potentially be happening. Uh, CBS 46 in Atlanta with the story that Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who of course is the favorite of all Trump supporters, is launching an investigation into third-party voter registration groups, including the New Georgia Project, which is the brainchild of Stacey Abrams. Here is the report from CBS 46. Here's something that came to our house yesterday. We got three of them, all from the same organization. And it's to my son, Brenton J. Raffensperger, who passed away two years ago. Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger says mailers reminding his deceased son to vote or register to vote is proof that third-party voter registration organizations are encouraging illegal voting. And he's launched an investigation into several of those organizations. We have had additional information coming in regarding uh, the tactics from these groups, including the New Georgia Project sending five voter registrations to the same dead person and sending applications to ineligible voters. Now, Jim, the CEO of the New Georgia Project says that sending out postcards reminding people to vote uh, that, and that there is an election coming up is not nefarious. And she, of course, says that uh, Raffensperger is just doing this because he's under so much pressure to do something uh, from Trump supporters. So uh, what do you make of this? One of the side effects of social media giving us the ability to say whatever thought pops into our head, the moment that it pops into our head or moments later, is that you see a lot of people's first instant reaction to things. And I've seen a lot over the last three weeks, you know, where is Ruffensberger? Where are the Republicans in Georgia? Why are they doing something about this? Why? Is well, here is the Georgia Secretary of State, his office investigating exactly what they're supposed to be investigating. Um, he is not a wall. His office is not ignoring serious evidence. His office is digging into this stuff as if it is a criminal investigation because that's what it is. And these things can't simply be adjudicated over a Twitter, over an angry tweet or something like that. Um, I actually think Ruffsberger has been basically doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's been following the law and doing his job throughout the beginning of this. And there's basically not been the, the argument about the, uh, the signatures we talked about yesterday is um, basically ignores the fact that the signature is on the envelope that the absentee ballot is sent in. It is checked twice. Insert all making a list and checking it twice jokes here. And they match it against the signature that was on the application for the ballot. And they were match it against the signature that is on the voter registration card when you register to vote. So it's already been checked twice. At that point, they separate the ballot from the envelope. And at that point, they no longer can reconnect them. They can recount all the paper ballots, but they cannot connect the ballot to the signature. So what the Trump and, and his couple of his supporters keep asking for can't happen. There's no way to reconnect them. There, there's no, you know, it, it's, 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 been, it's been broken, so to speak. And the president just doesn't seem to, to get through here. Ruffensberger is, however, investigating allegations of voter fraud or fr efforts to uh, register the dead or register people who don't live in the state like he's supposed to, 
kudos, Mr. Secretary of State. That's what your position is there for. And those who run around screaming, he's not doing anything, should probably look to see what he's doing before they start levying those sorts of charges. And Jim, you know, you get the argument, uh, there's nothing wrong with sending postcards to people. Well, they should know who's on the rolls, right? And so, and they should probably know who's dead. Uh, I know Eric Holder didn't like states to uh, update their rolls for whatever reason, but once you find out that somebody's not alive or doesn't live in your state or is otherwise ineligible, why are you still sending them postcards? Yeah, I mean, you still have to, if you send, if you get a ballot, as you said, uh, the, you know, Columbus family received a uh, absentee ballot request and you had not lived in the state for quite some time. The interesting question is whether you're still registered to vote in that state. I assume you aren't. It's kind of a bad sign that you are. Uh, but if someone does fill out the absentee ballot in the name of that person falsely and they, you know, they, they get the hands on it, they are able to match the signature well enough. Uh, the signature on the envelope and on the absentee ballot application is close enough to your signature on the on record with, as you registered to vote. Well, then, all right, then you've got a real problem. Then you've got a legitimate case of this. And as I pointed out from the beginning of this, if you go to the Heritage Foundation, they have a very nice and extensive database of all the cases in which someone has been prosecuted for this. I and a whole bunch of people, anybody who's serious about this issue will say, yes, voter fraud occurs. It does not occur in the cases of 10,000 votes or 20,000 votes, which is what it would be required to change the outcome of the presidential election. But that doesn't mean everybody should just you know, shrug their shoulders and say, this is no big deal and say, oh, we're not going to bother looking at this. Secretary of State is doing so, and I'm glad he's doing so. Yeah, I don't know if I'm still registered to vote in Michigan. I feel like since I got the application for an absentee, I guess I am. I do know that in the late 2000s, uh, when my dad was running for the last time for the city council, my mom went to vote, and after she went through, you know, it's a small town, so people know each other, and the lady with the book said, oh, is Greg going to vote today, too? And so, I mean, I'd been gone for well, well over a decade. That's not reassuring. That's yeah. bad. I'll grant you. <laughs> that's not good at all. So let's go to our the bad martini now. Three, take that again. Three, two, one. All right, Jim, let's go to our bad martini now. And this is really bad. And we've seen this before. But now we've actually got audio of all this. Uh, you know, Sidney Powell's not technically with the Trump campaign legal team anymore, but she is working with Lynn Wood, they've promised uh, biblical evidence, releasing uh, the Kraken and so forth. And so um, they were in Georgia the other day. They held a press conference. And uh, not only do they still believe that uh, President Trump is the rightful winner of Georgia, and they want to keep going down the legal road uh, on that front, which they're entitled to do, uh, they're also calling out the two Republican senators uh, who are headed for their respective runoffs on January 5th, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue, they do not want Trump voters to support these two senators unless these two senators demand a special session of the Georgia legislature to deal with the presidential race. Here is some of what Lynn Wood said. Get a special session of the legislature now. Do not be fooled twice. This is Georgia. We ain't dumb. We're not going to go vote on January 5th in another machine made by China. You're not going to fool Georgians again. If Kelly Loeffler wants your vote, if David Perdue wants your vote, they've got to earn it. They've got to demand publicly, repeatedly, consistently, Brian Kemp call a special session of the Georgia legislature. And if they do not do it, if Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue do not do it, they have not earned your vote. 
Don't you give it to them. Why would you go back and vote in another rigged election? For God's sakes, fix it. You got to fix it before we'll do it again. Jim, we don't have a monumentally stupid martini, but if we did, this would be the winner for the year. We've talked about this insane idea before. Um, I mean, this is the equivalent on the other side of the Lincoln Project. You claim you're conservatives, right? Uh, The Lincoln Project hates Trump so much that every other Republican has to lose, too. These people over here saying that if you don't uh, go to the mattresses uh, for for President Trump in the very specific way that I want you to, we're going to not vote for you either. So there. And so there means Democrats could potentially have control of everything in Washington, and that would be a disaster. I was just about to say, Greg, that's technically audio from a, quote, press conference, unquote, correct? (laughs) Yes, yes. Does that sound like a press conference to you or does it sound much more like a political rally? Does it, you know, like I've not, I've never seen you go into the White House, you know, now we go to the White House uh, press room where the press secretary will be offering a press conference. You don't hear cheers that loud at most sporting events this year because you haven't been allowed to get a crowd like that. That was a political rally. This is no longer about filing lawsuits. This is no longer about proving in court that there's been some sort of great injustice done. I don't know if Lynn Wood or Sidney Powell plan on running for office, but they certainly sound like the rabble-rousing type you tried to get in a candidate for office. And like in a way, yesterday was a very strange don't-get-out-the-vote rally. It was an anti-get-out-the-vote rally. It was a stay-home-and-don't-vote rally. And lots of people seem to be enthusiastically embracing this. Now, there are a lot of weird components to this. Uh, You kind of, you know, uh, suggested there, Greg, highly among them, um, this message of you shouldn't go and vote uh, because of how, you know, because because the, the, the Republican senators haven't earned your support. Well, that happens to echo the types of billboards that are being put up in what they call Trump counties, meaning, you know, counties Trump won in Georgia from really American PAC, which is, by the way, a liberal pro-Biden political action committee. Now, you don't need uh, to be a Mensa candidate to figure out what they're doing here. They want Republicans to stay home because they want Democrats to win these two Senate elections. And if Republicans do this, that's what's going to happen. There's apparently a new poll out. Now, remember, we have a new policy here at Three Martini Lunch. We are much more skeptical about polls. <laughs> uh, this poll apparently, out there, I guess it's a Survey USA. It's got Warnock ahead by a couple of points uh, and Purdue ahead by a few in the other one. It's still close. Look, you know, based on the performance of polls in 2020, uh, November's elections, I, I generally am going to be a lot more wary about putting too much faith in them. But this certainly sounds plausible. Look, it's, it's the, you know, this is the political Ragnarok with the entire Senate at stake. Georgia is a Republican-leaning state, but, you know, Purdue won his state by about two percentage points and change. Uh, Warnock was the largest candidate in that jungle primary. You add up the two major Republican candidates, and you're close to what Warnock had. We'll see what happens. But all other things being equal, this is probably going to be a pretty close election. The Georgia-Trump-Biden race was pretty, pretty close. It's not like there's lots of other places for the party can- committees to spend their money. It's not like there's, there's any other big fights going on right now. This is for all the marbles. 
you know, so you're probably going to have just about every committed Democrat coming out in this race. And up until a few days ago, it looked like there was a good chance you'd get just about every committed Republican coming out for this race. But now maybe not, because Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood have decided the single most important thing they could do between now and then is to go out and tell Georgia Republicans not to vote. This is echoing, by the way, an argument from some other folks who said they wanted people to write in Donald Trump in the Senate election. Uh, there is no place for you to do that on the ballot. There is no slot for a write-in candidate. And there are no write-in candidates who are qualified for runoff elections. You know, this any anybody who writes anyone in is going to be treated as a spoiled ballot. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't bother going. You know, it has the same effect of not voting. So I'm not really sure why you'd actually take the time to go to the polling place and effectively spoil your ballot. You might as well just scribble or something. I don't know what's going on with Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood. I do find it really interesting that no less than Matthew Boyle of Breitbart went through and determined that Lynn Wood has a long history of making do campaign donations to Democrats. And in just the perfect like cherry on top of this infighting in MAGA world, Gateway Pundit, run by Jim Hoft, is now attacking Breitbart for attacking Lynn Wood, who's attacking uh, the, the uh, Republican senators. Greg, if there's one more attack, I think this turns into the five-level dream in Inception. <laughs> it's like the nesting dolls of uh, infighting politically <laughs> here. Two thoughts. Journalists in the, the briefing room during Democratic administrations have not specifically erupted into <laughs> cheers, but I do remember Jeff Zeleny asking Barack Obama after his first 100 days what he found most enchanting about the office. And I'm guessing there will be some giddiness, although maybe not outright cheering, uh, when and if Jen Psaki uh, becomes, uh, heads to the briefing podium in January. Although after Joe Biden's pronunciation of psalmist last week, he might consider uh, announcing here as Jen Psaki. So I don't know. <laughs> Here's the other thing, though. Uh, you know, Lynn Wood has been in the headlines. Well, he's been a prominent lawyer for a long time. But he was the lawyer for Nick Sandman, right? The Covington Catholic student who was uh, mistreated badly by the mainstream media after the whole incident at the Lincoln Memorial after the March for Life. How glad do you think Nick Sandman is right now that he's already got those settlements done and taken care of, given how Lynn Wood's conducting himself? Yeah. So by the way, like, if, you wanna, if, you, if you are inclined to like Lynn Wood, I will make the point that uh, you go back to the uh, Atlanta bombing, Richard Jewell. In the case of Richard Jewell, you know, Lynn Wood defended Richard Jewell when everybody, you know, having heard those initial media reports and having their perceptions shaped by that, thought, oh, okay, this guy's guilty of sin. Case of a security guard who wanted to be a hero and planted the bomb himself, and that turned out to not be the case at all. I believe it was Eric Rudolph, the infamous uh, bomber of abortion clinics and other sites, who was the ultimate perpetrator of that crime. So Lynn Wood, this is not to say Lynn Wood is necessarily always a bad lawyer. Lynn Wood is not necessarily always off his, you know, off his rocker or espousing crazy conspiracy theories. But if you go back, you know, a little bit further, I used this example a little while back. We talked about this on this podcast. I even kind of fleshed it out further on Twitter after we'd recorded that Pierce Allinger was uh, JFK's press secretary. And he had a long and distinguished career in Washington for a long time. But towards the last couple of years of his life, uh, 1996, I believe it was actually right before the, you know, not too long before the uh, Olympic uh, bombing in, in Atlanta, uh, TWA Flight 800 exploded off the coast of Long Island. And many people initially believed it had been a case of terrorism. I actually wrote about this a bit in my uh, my book, Voting to Kill, now available in fine remainder bins everywhere. Actually, I'm kidding. It's long since out of remainder bins. <laughs> you probably have to go to look, find it online somewhere. 
But I looked into this because I wanted to do a, a one chapter. It was a comprehensive study of every terror attack and every suspected terror attack uh, in, US, in you know, from Vietnam to the publication of the book. And TWA Flight 800 was not a terrorist attack. That said, President Clinton went to the White House Situation Room. Uh, people thought it was a terror attack. And in fact, I believe at one point they had found traces of explosives. And people said, aha, well, there you go. There's the bomb. Uh, nobody ever took credit for it or anything like that. And it turned out those traces of the bomb had been kept from uh, apparently that particular plane had been used not that long ago from a training exercise for bomb sniffing dogs. So they had something that had the same properties as uh, bomb materials that was still on the plane that somehow managed to survive the explosion of the plane and that were found at the bottom of the ocean. They, they did the most extensive and recomplete reconstruction of the plane anywhere you can find. And it turned out that actually, no, this was just something from that test. It's a remarkable coincidence. I could understand somebody saying, my God, what are the odds of that? I still think it could be a terrorist. It's not a terrorist attack, but I can understand when, when a plane blows up out of nowhere, people generally think that. The general explanation is an electrical spark involving fumes in a uh, area near the, the fuel and the fuselage that caused a fire. Salinger was convinced this was not only, it wasn't a terror, you know, for a while he thought it was a terrorist attack, but then he believed that it had been accidentally shot down by the U.S. Navy and that it had been some sort of missile test that evening and that the government had covered it up. And, and Salinger, to his dying day, completely kept insisting. And Pierre Salinger is not necessarily, his whole life he was not cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He, he, he was a very bright and accomplished man. But this came across his attention, and he believed that, yes, this had to be uh, some sort of military test gone wrong, and that the entire government had participated in a cover-up of this. Folks, it's not true. But I think the lesson of this is that even seemingly smart people, even seemingly accomplished people, can believe crazy things. They can believe the moon is made of green cheese. And this doesn't necessarily discredit every other thing they've done in life, but it does mean that just because they've done impressive things earlier in their career, doesn't mean that what they're saying true. Lynn Wood is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs in the statements about all the the, uh, the election being stolen. And the success earlier in the career does not make the current statements valid. A lot of people have a very tough time getting their heads around that kind of concept. Yeah. And we'll say what we said earlier in the week. You're not going to impact the presidential race by not voting in the Senate runoffs. Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from Chicks on the Right. We're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. From discussing topics like cancel culture, what's happening to our new generations, crises in our nation, and even some high-profile interviews, each week we touch on subjects that matter to us and matter to you. And we're not afraid to tell you how it is. So tune in every week to hear us talk about the things or even just get a good laugh. To find out more, go to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. Let's go to our crazy martini now. Jim, and if there's anything we love this year, it's hypocritical state and local leaders who are telling their uh, residents to do one thing while they do something very, very different. Uh, the latest edition of this is Austin, Texas Mayor Steve Adler. The Austin American statesman says in early November, as health officials warned of an impending COVID-19 spike, Austin Mayor Steve Adler hosted an outdoor wedding and reception with 20 guests for his daughter at a trendy hotel near downtown. The next morning, Adler and seven other wedding attendees boarded a private jet bound for Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, where they vacationed for a week at a family timeshare. One night into the trip from Cabo... Adler addressed Austin residents in a Facebook video saying, quote, we need to stay home if you can. 
Boy, that's weird grammar. This is not the time to relax. We are going to be looking really closely. We may have to close things down if we are not careful. Speaking of closing things down, Eric Garcetti out in Los Angeles. He's the mayor there. The council just voted to ban outdoor dining. And then, of course, that was followed up with one of the people who voted to ban outdoor dining immediately going to a restaurant and engaging in outdoor dining right after the meeting. Uh, But Garcetti is now saying uh, this. My message could not be simpler. It's time to hunker down. It's time to cancel everything. And if it isn't essential, don't do it. Don't meet up with others outside your household. Don't host a gathering. Don't attend a gathering. And following our targeted safer-at-home order, if you're able to stay home, stay home. And apparently Gavin Newsom is exploring tighter uh, restrictions statewide as well. And so can't visit with anyone outside your home. Uh, We know that Gavin Newsom has not obeyed that. We know that... um, Other California lawmakers have not obeyed that. I'm not sure how good Eric Garcetti's been on that front. We know the mayor of Austin stinks on that front, Jim. So the hypocrisy reigns again. Yeah, and when we began the lockdowns in March, it seemed like a necessary step. We were completely caught flat-footed by this. We had no idea how many people had it. The hospitals in New York were starting to get overwhelmed. That clearly was the first major epicenter, even if earlier cases had occurred on the West Coast. And back then, I'd written, you know, and most places undid or or lessened their lockdowns and their restrictions after about eight weeks. And I wrote an article about, you know, what eight weeks of lockdown had gotten us. And a lot of people took that as a full-throated endorsement of them. And look, this this lockdown is probably the single most economically self-destructive step we could have, we have taken in our entire country's history. It was probably necessary for some period of time because you needed to stop people from interacting with each other the way they were. We had no idea of telling uh, who had it and who didn't. We had way we had nowhere near the level of testing we needed. People still, people might argue that we still don't, but generally in a lot of places of the country that is the places, parts of the country that aren't being overwhelmed right now. You go to your healthcare provider and say, I need a coronavirus test. They can generally get you one pretty pretty quickly. And the results are coming in. You know, I've managed to get them back in about two days. You know, it's not 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 great. You want to get them as soon as possible, but you know, a manageable time frame. Um, some parts of the country, not so lucky, and you're getting, you know, large, you've got to get more tests. But it took time to ramp up production. It took time to ramp up production of personal protective equipment, uh, testing. Uh, ventilators, although it turns out ventilators were not as necessary to the treatment or not as useful to the treatment of this disease as we thought it was. This, you know, this was complicated. People had to make hard choices. We're not in March anymore. We're not in April anymore. We know a lot more. We've had production ramped up for months and months. We have testing, as I said, which is much more available. And we've just come through Thanksgiving. We're approaching Christmas, Hanukkah, and New Year's. It's been a terrible year for most Americans. You can't tell Americans you're not allowed to have Christmas this year. You can't tell Americans you're not allowed to see your families that you may or may not have seen in Thanksgiving. If people gave up their seeing their relatives for Thanksgiving, they're probably really itching to see them by Christmas, right? You can't tell people, oh, you're not allowed to go out to church. You can't tell people, oh, you're not allowed to go out to restaurants. You're not allowed. You can't do all that and then turn around and do all of those things yourself. And the restaurants, particularly egregious example, you can't tell people don't travel you have to, you can't do anything. We can't relax while you're relaxing at your vacation home in Cabo San Lucas. And it's kind of, at this point, I've come to the conclusion, you know, mayors, governors should get out of the business, out of the business of these edicts and these directives and these, you know, if you break these rules, we will punish you. At minimum, if you're telling a restaurant, 
uh, you, you don't want people gathering in restaurants in normal capacity, then give them 25%, maybe give them 50%. See how bad the situation is in your area. Because one, those restaurants have to try to stay in business somehow. They've been limping along all year long. If they didn't get knocked out, I saw one study that said one out of every four small businesses in New Jersey has shut down over the course of this year. That's all pandemic. That's or, or almost entirely pandemic. You can't tell people, particularly after the decision we just saw from the Supreme Court, no, you can't go to church for Christmas. Can't, you can't do midnight mass, can't do it. What you can do is say, look, figure out what the capacity of your building is, and then you know, 10%, 25%, whatever it is, figure out how to space people out. Encourage people to wear masks. Do what you can. You know, to, you know, put out the Purell everywhere you can. Put out, you know, do, encourage the hand washing, encourage the social distancing. Tell people, look, you want to come to see this event? Just try not to get too close to each other. Spread yourselves out. Because they're not going to listen if mayors and governors go around and say, oh, no, you can't do this. Uh, because there have been too many examples of this. Guys, you don't have any more credibility anymore. You do not have that authority because you have abused that authority because you have made very clear you don't really worry about – there's no way Gavin Newsom really thinks gathering in a restaurant is going to kill him. You know how I know that? Because he did it. Right. Every one of these guys, you're clearly getting on a plane and traveling out of state does not strike these people as dangerous because they keep doing it. Right. So if you the lesson for every person in government is you cannot ask your citizens to make any sacrifice that you are not willing to make right now. And then case after case, they aren't. And it's not like they say you know, like in a way to almost like, well, I'm so important. I should be able to do this. I guess that's kind of what uh, the mayor of D.C., had said when she went to the uh, Biden victory party out in Delaware, Muriel Bowser said that it was, uh, it was official uh, mayoral business. No, it wasn't. You went to that party because you want to go to the party. You know, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. But uh, that's, you know, that's where we are here, Greg. And I think we're going to have one more unpleasant conflagration. Conflagration? Confrontation? We're going to have one more unpleasant mess <laughs> between now and the, and, and the beginning of the year and when the vaccines start rolling out because a huge chunk of our governing class believes that they are exempt from the rules that they want to impose on everyone else. We should also not let Michael Hancock off the hook. He's the mayor of Denver, who mm. uh, just prior to Thanksgiving, uh, I assume it was not a Facebook Live, but uh, 30 minutes before his plane took off from Denver to uh, visit family in Mississippi, uh, his account posted a video telling everybody to stay home for Thanksgiving. So deep and wide, the, uh, the hypocrisy here. It's amazing. Jim, let's uh, let the blood pressure settle a little bit, especially after those last two martinis, and we'll reconvene tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks very much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are always extremely grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Remember, you can get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.